All right. Hey, so if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and go to the book of Matthew. 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 Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And if you have it on your phone, all you got to do is just look, for, just look for Matthew in there. It's really easy. Just find Matthew. The book, book of Matthew. Oh, yeah. Hey, so, and while you guys are turning there, uh, I'm going to tell you guys a little story. Um, so, <laughs> one of my favorite movies growing up um, was on Netflix uh, a little while ago. And I, I forgot about how much I love this movie. I think it's probably actually one of the best movies of all time. The movie is called Heavyweights. And it is, it is like one of the best movies of all time. The whole premise of this movie is that these kids um, go to this camp. It's called, basically, it's Fat Camp. Um, and they go, and the whole premise is that, like, all these parents are sending their kids to go to this camp where they're supposed to be, like, learning how to eat healthy and all these things. But really, like, they all go, and it's just, like, nobody cares about what they're eating or, like, exercising or whatever. Um, but once they show up, all of that changes because this crazy guy, played by Ben Stiller, shows up. Like, he's absolutely insane. Um, Tony Perkis, he has his own workout system, and he, like, fires the old owners of the camp, and he basically puts these kids through, like, this terrifying boot camp, um, and the whole idea of the movie is them trying to take back the camp from this crazy guy, and it is, honestly, it's one of my favorite movies. The best part, one of the best parts is in their cabins, right, in their cabins, they have all these, like, secret compartments where they're trying to store, like, candy and food. Because this guy comes in, and he's, like, he's taking out all of the candy, all of the good food, and he's, like, we're going to eat, like, leaves and salads, and that's all you're going to get, and you only get, like, so much, and these kids are, like, we're starving, we're dying. Um, and they come through, and these kids have hoarded all this food. Like, it's in, it's in the posts of the bunk bed. Like, they've hollowed out spaces to put, like, like Milky Ways, they've got a, a spot in the floor that they open up like a trap door, and there's all this candy in there. Like they have, they've stored all this away for a situation like this. But the thing is, is that they get in there, and uh, Tony Perkis and his crew, his like, his like meathead um, henchmen, go in there, and and they find all of the all the candy spots, and they take it all away, um, and they throw it all away, and it's really sad. But I was thinking about this. Um, and how people sometimes, like, hoard food. Um, I think that my son is a food hoarder. Um, I think that I could see him becoming that one day because we were sitting at a restaurant the other day, and he was, like, taking food from um, the table, and he was grabbing it, and he was, like, slowly, like, putting it behind his chair, like, while, while he was eating, like, so that we would just continue to give him more food, and he was like, I'm just going to put it back here. Maybe they won't notice. And then, whenever he finally had all this food on his plate, he started doing this. Now I have double the food. Like, and so, I could, I could totally see him just hoarding food, and I'm, I'm sure that one day I'm going to walk into his room, there's going to be, like, mashed potatoes, like, under his covers or something. Like, he's going to be like, I really like these, so I tried to save them for later. Just, just wanted to save them for later. And so, I'm just like... I don't know. I could see that happening, but have, have any of you ever tried to hide food um, so that you could, like, have it for later? What is the biggest problem with hiding food? It melts. Have any of you ever tried to hide food and then you forgot about it? 
Yes. Yes. It's the worst. So the... Hey, guys, listen up. Listen up. So the, the worst part about hiding food is if you forget about it, and then you eventually find it sometime down the road because it is no longer edible. Like, it is... It's horrifying and disgusting looking. It's either melted everywhere or it's gotten in some space that you're just like, oh no, this is going to take me years to clean up. Like, and you're, and it's terrifying. And so the funny thing is that the, kind of the irony in it is that you have tried to like take this thing to hide it so that you could save it for yourself for later. But in the attempt to save it, you have actually lost the thing. Does that make sense? In the attempt to save this food, you have actually lost it by, by attempting to hold on to it and hoard it for yourself. Does that make sense? I think most of us have experienced that. Um, and I want us to look at a situation like this um, in Scripture. Because I, I think that that concept of, of this idea of us trying to hoard things or, or hold on to things for ourselves um, eventually down the road actually doesn't turn out kind of the way that we had thought that it would. I think in our culture, very, very often, um, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of things are about how much can you kind of gather for yourself or um, store up for yourself so that eventually down the road, you're going to be all right or you're going to be okay. Um, and so you guys, in Matthew 25, um, this is a, a parable um, about the talents. A parable parable of the talents. And so let me give you guys some context for this before we read it, uh, before we read it. So really, back in chapter 24, um, Jesus has been walking around, um, and all through chapter 24, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples are, are hanging out with him, and they say, hey, Jesus, tell us when the end is coming. Jesus, tell us when you're coming back. I know that you talk about the end of the age or that you're going to have to leave and then return. Can you talk to, talk to us more about what that looks like? And so Jesus kind of lists through, this is what it's going to look like when the Son of Man comes. Nobody knows the day or the hour that, 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 Jesus is, that I'm going to return. Like, it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be, it's going to be quick. And nobody's going to know when this is going to happen. You cannot... You cannot possibly know, we cannot possibly know here now the exact date and the hour of when this is going to happen. And so as he's kind of laying this out, he then jumps into chapter 25 and he goes through um, and he tells this, the parable of, of the ten virgins. And what, uh, what that means is just talks about these ten, ten unmarried um, like young girls who are waiting um, at a wedding um, back culturally. And, and one of the customs was that they would go out and then they would wait for, um, for the bridegroom to show up. They would all kind of be waiting outside, and then as he arrives, then it's like, okay, now, um, now the party can start. Now, now we can do this. And so there's this parable that Jesus is telling about how some of them took extra oil in their lamps so that as it was dark out and they were waiting, um, eventually, like, the bridegroom took so long that some of them ran out of oil for their lamps, so their lights went out. But the other ones who were prepared and they brought extra, they were ready. Um, and so then once the bridegroom shows up and the wedding starts, the ones that had kept extra oil, they all go into the, into the, the party together. Um, and the ones who had forgotten were out trying to find more. And while they were doing that, the doors were shut and they were locked. And then they eventually came and they were like, hey, let us in. And they said, no, this is, party's already started. You, you missed your opportunity. You're, it's, it's over. 
And so what, this, what that parable is talking about is he's continuing this theme of that Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And that we need to be ready. So this first parable right there in, in 25 is talking about kind of this internal readiness. Right? Like we've even been talking about that in the main room with Mike. Like we've been going through Revelation and, um, and even as we've talked about saturate and, and kingdom building, that there is kind of this like we need to be, we need to be ready for this. Like we need to be awaiting his return and be excited about it and that we're always just even internally kind of looking for that. But so then here's where I want us to go today. Chapter 25, verse 14. I'm going to read this all the way through once um, and then uh, we're going to go back through and kind of break, break it down. Break it down. You guys ready? If you're with me, say, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a couple of you. All right, here we go. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made the two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received, sorry, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And the cast of the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, I know that was a lot. You guys still with me? Still good? All right, I got one. <laughs> Nathaniel's with me. Are you guys with me, everybody? Yes. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. So, so let us, let's jump into this. Um, back, verse 14 and 15. So, right, like I said, this is a parable that Jesus is teaching that goes along with this whole idea of readiness. And so if the first parable of the ten virgins, if, if he's talking about that, and that's talking about kind of an internal readiness, that we are mentally just prepared for Jesus' returning, this parable speaks to an external readiness. Like, 
of outward kind of importance. And so this parable that Jesus tells should push us to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing now for the kingdom? What am I doing now for the kingdom? And so, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So he's talking about basically himself, that Jesus, he knows that he's going to leave and one day he's going to return. So it's like a man going on a journey and this owner, he entrusts um, this, these amounts of money to these servants that work under him, that, that work for him. And so, have you guys ever heard of the word um, talent before? Not like, as in like, I'm really talented, but like a talent as in like an amount of money. Have you heard of that? Um, and so, if you have, then you potentially have, have probably read this before. But so what a talent was, actually, is, um, is a weight. So like, some guy would take like a giant bag of silver coins or gold coins or whatever, and he'd like set it on a scale, and it, if, it, if it weighed a certain amount, um, then you'd be like, oh, that's like, that's a talent. That's a talent's worth, right? So they have other um, increments of weight where it's kind of like how when you go to the store to buy bananas, it's not like, hey, if you buy six bananas, it costs $2. It's like, no, they're like 30 cents a pound or a dollar a pound or whatever for a lot of fruit and things like that. And so you go and you pick however many bananas you want and you put it on the scale and that's how much it's worth. Does that make sense? So a talent is a weight. So, yes. So you have that. Um, and the thing was that whenever you kind of weighed those coins, especially if they were silver coins, and most likely that's what it was here, it's worth about 15 to 20 years worth of income. So pretend you've been working at a job for 20 years and you haven't spent a dime of that money and you've just kind of like put it in a bag. That's what this is. I don't know how you survived up to that point. But you've made 20 years worth of money, of income, and you've put it in a bag and like, and this is, this is what a talent is. One talent is 15 to 20 years worth of income. And so I've been looking and I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean for us today? Well, the median income of the average American household is $60,000. So if you take that and multiply it out by 15 to 20, and if I, if I take it and multiply it by 20, it's $1.2 million is one talent. $1.2 million. So the guy that got five talents got $6 million. Here you go. Oh, wow, thank you very much. So the guy who got five talents, that's $6 million. The guy who got two talents, that's $2.4 million. And the guy who got one talent, that is $1.2 million. Isn't that crazy? That's so much money. That blows my mind. I don't know if I'll ever see a million dollars my whole entire life. That's crazy. And so, so we're looking at this, and I think that kind of changes, um, changes the way that, that we see this passage a little bit. So now that we kind of have a, a better idea of, of what of what the money looks like in this situation. What he's saying is that as the master left, he entrusts part of his property, like part of everything that he's worked for, to these three men that are working for him. And he says, here, take this, and I want you to use this to continue to, to grow it and multiply it. And that's exactly what the first two servants do. The first man, he gets five. He says, hey, I've doubled it, and now here's 10 back. 
here's $12 million back. You gave me six, here's 12. And the second, second servant says, hey, you gave me 2.4 million, here's 4.8 million. Here, I doubled it. Take this back. And then he gets to the third guy, and we'll get to him in a second. But the point, the point is, uh, of these first two guys, is that it's not about the actual value of the money that's been given that somehow like, tells you about what they're good at or their skills or anything. Like The guy who was given five is no more valuable to the master than the guy that was given two. Because as they go out and as they multiply this, it's not like, oh, you gave me five, so I was able to make 25 more, and you only gave me two, so I only was able to make like four more. No, both of them doubled what they had. Different amount, but same amount of effort that goes into the work to double this money, to, to, to increase the gifts that have already been given to these guys. So go ahead, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to skip forward to, to verse 19. So he comes back, the master comes home. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Here's the thing though too, is that at the beginning of this passage, the master, he gives, it, he gives these guys his property to watch over and to care for. And there's kind of this expectation that he will return. He doesn't actually say anything. He doesn't say like, hey, take care of this and I'm coming back. Uh, in three weeks. He doesn't give them like a certain amount of time to when he's coming back. He just says, hey, take this, take care of it, and I'll see you guys later. And so these guys didn't know if he was coming back tomorrow or like in a year or in 10 years. They're like, I don't know. I don't know where he's going. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how long this, this traveling is going to take. But eventually he will come back. And all I know is that while he's gone, I need to watch over what he's given me as best as I possibly can. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Thank you. So he comes back. And I think even in, in the midst of this parable, um, that there's a potential for, like, surprise here. Like, <laughs> here's, what, here's what I was thinking about. This is a really silly story. Um, as a, as like a, I remember as a middle schooler, I was in my room, and I was, like, getting ready for school one day. And I had, like, just gotten out of the shower, and I was getting dressed, and all of a sudden, like, my mom just, like, walked in the door. I'm like, ah, mom. Like, I was naked. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, my gosh, mom's here. And so I was freaking out. Has that ever, like, you don't have to raise your hand, but have your parents ever, like, walked in the room on you, like, while you're getting dressed? Like, there's this moment of fear where, like, you literally, you can't do anything, but you just go, ah. Like, and <laughs> there's literally, like, you're standing there, and you're just, like, getting all ready or whatever, la, 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 la. And you're trying to get ready and everything is going great. And then somebody walks in the door. Like you're paralyzed with fear. Because it's just like, oh. and There's nothing you can do. Because they've already walked in and they've already seen you. And it's like, it's, all, it's over. Like there's no like, oh. Like, oh. There's nothing that you can possibly do. It's, just, it's a weird story. But I just think of like, if you think about that moment, whenever somebody walks in and surprises you like that, like it's this like, oh no. <laughs> like, what can you do? And you're not expecting it, and, and it's so, it's just this, it's this surprise. And I, th I think about um, the way that the master comes home, and this third guy who had done absolutely nothing with his talent, like, the master walks in, and the guy's probably just, like, making breakfast or something, and he's like, oh, oh no. Oh, no. no I did nothing. 
I don't know. That's what I think about. And so there's this, there's this moment where the master comes home, and it's like, all right, like, I'm going to... He comes back to settle accounts with them. He comes back to settle accounts with them. And so <laughs> he comes in. The two guys, they give him what they've worked. Like, they have been diligent while he's been away. Um, maybe, I mean, put it like this. How many of you, have any of your parents have ever asked you to, like, clean the dishes or to, like, vacuum or, or, like, clean something or pick your room up before they come home? Like, they leave and go to the grocery store. They're like, when I come back, your, gro- like, your room needs to be clean. And you're, like, laying on the couch and hanging out and, like, watching Netflix or, like, playing video games. And all of a sudden, you're laying there and you hear the garage door and you go, oh, Oh no! And you get up and you run and you're just like, I gotta clean my room up! Ah! And so you're running around and you're just like, like it's, but it's too late. Like you're running through the hallway like with all of your clothes trying to take them to the laundry and pretend like you started the laundry like 45 minutes ago, but you can't do, like you can't jump in time. Like, and so you're running through the hallway and then your parents walk in the door and you have like this large load of clothes in your hands and they go, oh, what are you doing? And you go, I was doing what you told me to do. <laughs> cleaning my room. It's like, didn't I say that was supposed to be done by the time I got home? Maybe. (laughs) I couldn't stop watching The Office. It was very hard to peel myself away from the TV. And so there's this moment where, like, they're coming home, and they're there, and you realize that you've wasted all this time. And you're just like, oh, no. I've made a huge mistake. And so that's what happens to this third guy. Like, and, and what happens when you get caught in a situation like that? You make an excuse. Right, like I just did. Uh, the uh, the washer was uh, it was broken for the last hour, but now it's working, so I couldn't. The sink stopped working too, so I couldn't wash those dishes. This is weird. I think the pipes froze. It's seventy degrees outside. I don't know. It was weird. It was crazy. Our water stopped working. I don't know what happened. And so, if you guys if you guys flip and and go ahead, uh, move move ahead to. Uh, verse 24. Here the master is, is talking with this third guy. He said, he also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, here's the excuse. He says, I, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid of you. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. So, He's saying that the reason that he didn't take care of what was given to him is because of his perception of of who the master is. He's saying, I I knew you to be a hard man and I I was afraid of you. And now, I want to ask this question because I think that that some of us struggle with this. Because I I think a lot of us see God um, as somebody that he's not. Like, I, I think some of us have grown up maybe in a way where, where we see God as kind of like this angry guy who, who sits far away and just kind of watches and like waits for us to screw up um, or, or in the way of like, like a mean kid like with a magnifying glass like with ne- next, next to an anthill. Does that make sense? Like he's just this, just like, ah. Like he doesn't care or he's angry all the time or like he's just waiting for us to screw up so that he can be like, ha ha. I got you. Has, have, you don't have to raise your hand, but think through, like, how do you view God? Like, who is God? What is his character like? And some of you have 
probably have, have right ideas, and some of you have some potentially wrong ideas about, about what that is. But I think our perception of who God is, I think that's so important for us because the Bible tells us who God is. God is not who we think him to be. Does that make sense? Like God is described here in Scripture, like we, we see who he is all through Scripture. God does not suddenly become this person that we try to make up in our mind. And I think our culture teaches us that we can do that, like that God is whoever you say that he is. And that's not true. And so here, here's his response to this, to this third guy. He actually answers kind of like sarcastically. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I, I reap where I have not sown and I, I gather where I scattered no seed. It's kind of like, what, what proof have I given you that I'm like this harsh man? Like, what have I done to make you think this? Because it's not true. But then he goes on to say in verse 27, even if it was true, then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could have received interest um, from what was mine. And so it's like this moment where it's like, even if this was true, you still did nothing. Like, even if you were afraid of me and I was a harsh guy, it doesn't matter because I, that's not, you, you still did absolutely nothing with what I gave to you. You did nothing. Um, so we'll continue. Next verse. This is the, the scary part. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more money will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So we'll, we'll stop right there. I think that, um, I think that it would be good for you guys to ask yourself, what, what gifts have you been given? Like what things are you, are you good at? And don't think just in terms of like abilities, like sports or, or art or music or things like that. Those are all very valuable things that God has gifted you with. But I think even, even thinking through, like what type of person has, has God made you to be? What, what gifts has he given you? Are you, are you good at, at listening to people when they're hurting? Are you good at, at giving advice? Um, maybe you're good at making people laugh and just feel really welcome. Or, or maybe, you're somebody, uh, maybe you're somebody who can just kind of sit in and offer your time to people. Like you don't have to really say much. Um, but, but you still, like, as you, as you live your life, you, you're able to just spend time with people, and, and that's valuable to them. Like, your presence is comforting to people. Think through those things and, and who God's made you to be. Because those are gifts and things that he's given to you to use and not to hide away from people or to bury in the ground so that it can't be used. The lesson in this parable is that God has given every single one of us a gift or an ability, whether that's um, who we are or, or even if it is a skill. Like maybe you're really good at music or maybe you're really good at creating art um, and asking questions. Maybe like there's all of these things. And yes, resources and, and money, that is a part of it. But the hope is that we would see everything that we've been given as something that comes from God, from the master, to be used throughout our lives for the good of other people for the good of others. Because I want, you, I want you guys to hear this. Christian life is not about the hoarding of your life, but the spending of your life. 
Christian life is not about the hoarding of your resources or your gifts, but the spending of your resources and your gifts, of your knowledge, of your skills. Jesus says it, says it this way um, a couple chapters earlier in, in chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Does that, does that sound kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning with like hoarding food? There's like an irony in it where in the attempt to save the food and, and hoard it, um, eventually, in, in a funny way, like it goes bad or, or it melts or, or something like that. But in the very same way, your life, the more and more that you try to hoard it or, or to say, I, I want to keep myself safe, and removed from all the problems in the world, and I'm just going to live in my own little bubble, and I'm not going to talk to anybody, and it's just going to be me. And I'm going to try and live for as long as I can because it's dangerous out there, and I'm afraid, and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's that person that in that moment of, of removing themselves from every single thing, they may sit there and live to be 100 years old, but if they don't walk out their door, they've lost their life because they've never really lived. Does that make sense? Like, is that... Are you guys with me? Say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Like, legitimately, your life is not about how can I keep myself safe for the longest amount of time so that I can, I can just survive to be a certain age. Like, your life, especially the Christian life, if we say that we follow Jesus... Our lives are about giving our own lives away. You guys stop that. Stop it. Stop screwing around back there. I'm serious. I want you guys to hear this. Your life is not about just showing up here to church and that's it. Like that Sunday morning is all you get and it's like, hooray, yay, I'm a Christian and I show up at church. Woohoo! Like that's not... Following Jesus is about giving your life away to people. That you would put others before you that you would see other people and value them above your own needs and above your own desires and your own, your own wants. That's what Jesus models perfectly. He lives this life out where eventually the spending of his life, he gives it away so that we can live. And he models it for us perfectly. And so I want to close with this, with this story, and then, and then we're going to sing and worship together. Have you guys ever heard of the word, um, it's called phantophobia, phantophobia, um, and it is the fear of, of losing a loved one, that's what that is. I think a lot of us in here may actually have that, and we just haven't realized it, because I, I don't think that I ever really had that, like, I mean, you kind of think about, well, what happened if something happened to my family, or this or that, I don't think I really developed that um, until Leland, my son, who hoards food, uh, was born, and so... I thought about this because 
there was this moment after um, what happened at, at Jackson, at Jackson Middle School, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. There's this moment where I think a lot of us here and your parents and there's just kind of this like sense of fear of like what's going to happen. Like I don't, I don't feel I don't feel safe right now. I don't know what's going on. And there was this moment that I like as a dad, I looked at my son, like I, I looked at Leland and I it was this weird night where I, I couldn't go to sleep and so I was in his room and I, I was praying for him and it was like two o'clock in the morning. And I just like I began to just like cry over my son because I looked at him and I thought about, man, what kind of world is he going to enter into when he grows up? Like, what kind of friends is he going to have? What, what type of choices is he going to make? Like, who is this little guy going to be? And I immediately wanted to just like take him and hide him away and be like, I don't want anything bad to ever happen to you. And I want, to keep, I want to be the one to keep you safe for your whole entire life. And I want to make sure that nothing happens to you. And, and in this moment of me trying to like, like just hold on to him tighter and tighter, like that I would just keep him safe, there was this moment where, where Jesus, like he broke through in my own heart. And it was like, no, that's not what life is about. And you're going to, you're going to squander his life in the attempt to hoard it for yourself and to keep him safe and, and just to keep him close to you. And so this moment where, where me and Jesus was like teaching me how to surrender not only my own life, but to look at my son and to say this, like Leland, like you've given him to me and to Brittany and that we would see him grow and hopefully come to know you and love you and then give his life away for you. And it was like terrifying to me because I so badly, and I think that your parents feel this too, they so badly want to make sure that you have the best opportunity and that you're safe and that you're, you're well cared for and that you have the best opportunity at, at your future. And, and so all of these things, they go into these decisions that are made. And, and I'm just thinking about this. And Jesus just like broke my heart um, in that moment a couple weeks ago for my own son and just that, that I would have an open hand and that I would allow him to make his own choices and, and, and be able to discover who Jesus is, that I would not force or, like, I can't control him. I can't make him into anything. Like, I can lead and I can direct and I can, I can discipline and do those things, but I can't, I can't, like, just force him to be the person that I want him to be. Like, it's not going to happen. And it was just like this terrifying moment for me where Jesus was just calling me to, to surrender because it's funny, the more that we try to, to hold on to those things and hoard them and make sure that nothing bad ever happens is whenever we lose them. Like if I kept Leland like in the house all the time and I'm like, you're going to be safe here. Like that turns into a weird fairy tale where like somebody locks somebody up in a tower and it's like, it's for your own good. <laughs> like, and that's not, that's not what, <laughs> what should happen. It's not what the Bible calls us to. It's crazy. And so for you guys, as you go about your life, you have these, you have skills and gifts and things that God has given you so that you can encourage other people, so that you can love other people and care for them. Don't waste those. Don't bury your gift. 
to love other people in the ground and say, I don't, I'm, I'm not even going to deal with this because I don't, that person is really hard to love and I don't want to have to deal with that. So I'm going to bury my ability to be able to do that in the ground. I'm just going to stay over here in my little circle of friends and I'm not going to talk to anybody else. And so it's in the hoarding of that that actually they've missed out on that. And you miss out on living your life for Jesus because he calls us to give away the things that he's already given us because they're not ours in the first place. And so I know that we've talked about saturate and we're talking about church planning and all these things, but that's all it is. Church planning, going out, telling other people the good news. Like that, it's just that we're giving away what God's already given us. That's the gospel. So let me pray for us. And uh, while I'm doing that, I'm going to have uh, the worship team come up and then we're, we're going to sing and lead and we're going to worship together.